0: Preaching on Mother's Day can be complicated for a, for a couple of different reasons. First of all, there are only so many passages of Scripture that fit, um, only so many stories in Scripture that fit all that well with Mother's Day, and, um, and, and I don't really like to make things stretch too far just to fit with a holiday. I will say the last, the last two years, I look back, I, I preached on Mother's Day the last two years and talked about Mother's Day, and I think I used all my good material. And yet we don't, we don't want to disregard that today is Mother's Day. But that actually leads to a second complication that comes up here. I know that not everyone cares nor is thrilled about the fact that today is Mother's Day. I know that it's not a celebratory day for everyone. And so I want to share something I've shared before on Mother's Day that that best expresses how we're, we're trying to approach Mother's Day in this setting. Mother's Day is a celebration, but for some it's also a day of longing and grief. Some here today might be yearning to have their first child. Some here today might not have had great mothers. Some may not even know their mother, or have any sort of relationship with her. Some mothers here today might be grieving a wayward child or grieving a lost child. Some children here today might be grieving a wayward mother or grieving a lost mother. So understand that as much as I can, I understand that not every mother is perfect, not every mother-child relationship is healthy, and not everyone is in the mood to celebrate today. But I also believe that God, in His Word, He makes it clear that he values the role of mother. I also think it's important we acknowledge that there are biological mothers and there are spiritual mothers. Some are lucky enough to have both in the same person. But We should never ignore nor take for granted the strong female influences in our lives. So today we're not so much going to dwell on the fact that it's Mother's Day through the message, but we wanted to express our appreciation to mothers of all kinds today. And uh, we'll have a gift for you at the end of the service. You can look at that if I get boring this morning. Uh, it's really I think this looks awesome, and uh, I really thank the ladies who put the time in uh, to create the little display. But it's something we're going to send you out with uh, today, just as a little token of our appreciation, just for who you are. And so uh, we, we certainly appreciate you. Now, as we've been working through our series, Upstairs Thinking, We've been talking about things Jesus said, commands Jesus stated, things Jesus called his followers to, and by extension calls us to, that will require a change in our thinking in order to follow, in order to do what he's asked us to do. And the main reason these things will require a change in thinking for us is because living out these callings and commands of Jesus is counter to our culture, counter to our human nature, or in a lot of cases, both. Two weeks ago, we began by talking about loving even when it made no sense. Last week we got a little awkward and we talked about sin and what we should be willing to do to eliminate it from our lives. And today we're going to talk about the cost of following Jesus. And recorded in the Gospel of Luke, we find this pretty intense statement that Jesus makes about being a disciple, about being his follower. And so it's in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I know, right? On Mother's Day, we're going to talk about that time Jesus said to hate your mother. Um, but, But here's the thing. Here's the thing. My guess is that those of us that have heard that before, that we have skimmed right over this passage and not thought very long or very deeply about what Jesus was truly saying there. I mean, what what did he say? He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. That is intense. So did he mean it? Was he making a point? Was it hyperbole? I mean, we know Jesus' mother, and we know he loved her deeply. We know that, that, that they stayed in contact. We know that she was nearby when he was on the cross. And what about the fact that we know that honoring your father and mother is one of the Ten Commandments? It can be a confusing passage. And I'd say that's one of the reasons we might be tempted to skim over it and say, I'm sure Jesus meant something important here. Let's keep reading. But I want to take a look today, and a little later at the verses that follow this, at what Jesus actually said. Now that word hate is strong, isn't it? I remember when I was a kid, that was one of the words I was not allowed to say, as it applied to another person. Uh, I, I, I was not allowed to say, I hate you. And, and I'll tell you what, I wanted to, mostly to my sister, okay, because she, she drove me crazy. I, I had two sisters, one quite a bit older, uh, one younger, and they, even at that age, they would still team up on me sometimes, and they, there's... You get to this point as a kid where I hate you. And my parents were very, very strong against that word being used in that way. And they would say, you don't actually mean that, so you better not say it. You see, hate is such a strong word. I wasn't one for foul language as a kid, nor for that matter. But but in my house, that was just like any other four-letter word. We were not supposed to say it. I could get upset. I could get mad. I could get angry. But it was not okay to say I hate you to anyone. And it's funny how those things stick with you. If I hear somebody else say that now, I kind of bristle a little bit. You know how that is. I'm I'm an adult, and I still, hey, you're not supposed to say that. That's what I get the urge to say when I hear somebody say, I hate you. And even though we've weakened the intensity of the word hate over time because we hate traffic and we hate the price of gas or whatever that's bugging us that particular day, to me, that word remains very harsh, very strong, and you might hope, like I kind of did, that maybe this was one of those magical situations where I would tell you that the, the original language that Jesus was speaking when, this, when he said these words, that, that the Greek word here was a, a word that didn't actually mean hate, that this was just poor translation down through the years. But I can't do that today. Because the Greek word for, for, there, for hate is, is missio, which actually means to hate. I mean, they got it right on. It also means to detest. Which, depending on on what you think about it, might sound even worse. And I want to make it clear this isn't a a misunderstanding or a misquoting of Jesus either because there's a very similar statement of Jesus that's recorded in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You see, what, what we're really talking about here is priorities. And the key to what Jesus was saying here, and honestly the key to what he was saying in the passage in Luke as well, is... Actually, what's found in verse 39 there, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you give your life for me, you will find it. It's all about what you consider to be the most important thing. This isn't specifically about hating your parents or hating your family. Because in that Luke passage, Jesus says you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. And that probably should give us at least a momentary sigh of relief because we say, okay, good because this was going to be a struggle for me if that was actually what I was supposed to do. Because a lot of us would say, listen, I don't think I could hate my parents, or I don't think I could hate my siblings or my children, or whatever it is that you would uh, jump to there. What this is really about, though, is anything in this life that we value more than following Jesus, and how we need to deal with those things, which means we should probably take back that sigh of relief we breathed a moment ago, because we all have probably a lot of things that we... Value pretty highly. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about the things you value the most. And if you're anything like me, your mind will go to a combination of three things. There'll be a combination of people in your life that you value highly, things in your life that have sentimental value, and yes, things in your life that have monetary value. Most of the things that you would think of that you say, I value these things, it's either going to be people. Things of sentimental value or things of monetary value. And so if I begin to think through that list, and I want you to do the same, I value my wife and my kids. They are priceless. And I also want credit for saying that in a sermon on Mother's Day, that my wife is priceless, okay? So there. Now it's on the recording, too. I said in first service, so we don't record first service. So I am winning. But I do. I believe that, that my wife and my kids, to me, there is no price on them, because they are priceless. They are priceless. I would value my house, but the bank owns most of that. That being said, I still value the roof over my head for certain. I value my vehicles because God has blessed me with the ability to get from place to place. I value the musical instruments I have. That's one of the things I value. Some because I've had them for a really long time. Some because I play them a lot. Some because they were handed down to me um, from from people in my family. I, I don't play the accordion, but I own one because it was my grandfather's, and I'm telling you, of all the things I have from an instrument perspective, that's one of my prized possessions. Is his accordion that he used to play. I value my sports card collection, but I know that's sentimental because none of that stuff is worth what we thought it would be in the early 90s. (laughs) Just being honest with you. It's, It's just paper at this point. I value the Cleveland Browns. I know that sounds weird, but I skipped a couple weeks not talking about the Browns, so I had to bring it up again. And I value the opportunity that I have to serve God in my life, and here's the part of new life. I value that very highly. And I could go on and on and list all the things that I value, and we would be here all day. And I'm guessing you could do the same thing. Now, I almost said, I'll be honest with you, I almost said, if you're older than me, you probably have an even longer list of things you value. But But I didn't say that. And after first service, I had somebody tell me, you know, the older you get, the smaller that list gets because you realize what's truly important. And I said, I would have messed that up completely. And so maybe your list isn't as long because you've realized some of those things aren't as valuable as you think they are. But my guess is you still have a pretty long list of people and things that you would place value on. Because God has blessed us, and I think it's important that we acknowledge that. But the question we need to ask ourselves today, based on Jesus' words here, is this. That list of things we value. Is there anything on that list that we wouldn't give up if it was necessary to give it up for the sake of following Jesus? And I seriously want you to think about your list of valued things and about this question. Because... That will reprioritize the list and you'll start out easy saying, these are things I could certainly give up and it gets more difficult because I'd give up the sports cards in a second if that's what I needed to do. I'd give up the musical instruments. It would be painful, but if that's what needed to happen, I would. I would give up the Cleveland Browns. It would leave a Cleveland-shaped hole in my heart, but if it needed to happen, I would do it. I would give up my vehicles. My commute isn't bad anyway. I'd give up my house as painful and complicated as it would be I would do it if that's what needed to happen. And I'll be completely honest with you this morning. If serving as lead pastor of New Life Christian Church ever became something I needed to give up for the sake of my relationship with God, it wouldn't be easy, but that's what I would do. I would forsake everything on my list and then some until I got to my wife and kids. And I'm thankful that God hasn't asked me to give up all those other things yet. But if he did, I think I could. I believe I would. And you might say, well, why would he ever ask you to do that? I don't know. But it's certainly possible. And I would do it. I would, I would, it would be painful. I wouldn't be super willing with it, but eventually I believe I would let it all go. But if he asked me to give up my wife and kids for his sake, I'm honestly not sure what I would do. And again, you might ask, why would he ever ask that of you? You might assume he never would. I don't know. But that's not really the point that I'm making. That's not really the point that Jesus was making. Would you hold back anything from God if he asked you to give up everything for him? We know how we're supposed to answer that question. We know what we should say. But truthfully, most of us would get part or even most of the way through our list of things we value, and we would stop before we were willing to give up to forsake the things at the very top of the list. And for most of us, if not all of us, what's at the top of the list of what we value is people. It's people. That's why Jesus said, Hate your father and mother because he knew for most people family was valued most. And so if you were willing to give that up, you'd be willing to give everything up. What Jesus was talking about was the fact that there is a cost to following him. That it will at some point, if it hasn't already cost you something, if you make the decision to truly follow Jesus. And if you're not willing to pay whatever that cost ends up being, you better think about that some more before you decide you're ready to follow. And Jesus illustrates that in the verses that follow his original statement. I love when Jesus just just gets so real with them. He, he He just points out something so clear. In verse 28 of Luke 14, he says, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Now, you've seen buildings like this, right? Maybe you're on vacation somewhere driving around, and you notice a building that that is not under construction. It's not partway finished. It was left partway finished, and it's clearly been sitting that way for a while. What do we do in that situation, most of us? We get a little judgmental, right? Right? Well, who, who would think that was a good idea to start that if they didn't have the money to finish it? Whoever was in charge of that project, I'm not putting them in charge of anything I'm building because they clearly didn't do their homework. They clearly didn't figure, you know, who, who would do that? And that's what Jesus says here. Who begins a project without knowing they can afford it? It does happen, but, but, but yeah, somebody, he, Jesus even says, everyone would laugh at you. He says, listen, people are not going to understand that. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know what happened. But if we see something like that, we're probably a little harsh. Man, somebody didn't plan ahead. He then gives another example, verse 31. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. And we read those words of Jesus and we say, that's just good sense. If you know you've got 10,000 soldiers and they've got 20,000, something is going to have to be uh, the case for you to even want to begin to fight that battle, to walk into that situation. And if there was an alternative that resulted in less loss of life, certainly you would take it. And what Jesus is saying there is, listen, we typically understand what it means to count the cost. And I think that's still true today. We generally understand the idea of counting the cost. We understand that. I remember in college, my work-study check was my only extra money um, that I had. I worked on campus, and so I'd get a little bit of money. I think it was every two weeks. I can't quite remember. But I do know that when each pay period got close to the end, I knew to the penny how much money was in my checking account. I also knew to the penny how much a junior bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's cost with tax. Because the truth was, I knew I needed a certain amount in my bank account to be able to get that extra snack because food in the cafeteria wasn't good that night. Or I knew to the penny how much gas I could put in my vehicle if, I was gonna, you know, if my paycheck hadn't come yet. I knew exactly how much. I counted the cost. I kept an eye on that. If you've, if you've purchased a house, you, you quickly figure out there is a max you can afford to pay a monthly mortgage, and you know what that is. And so you figure out from that number the maximum value of house you should probably be looking at. And there's a temptation to look higher than that, right? But you know what you can afford. We understand the basic idea of what it looks like to count the cost. And Jesus points that out here. He says, you get this. You understand the building that doesn't get finished because nobody planned it out well. You understand how ridiculous it would be to go into battle assuming you're going to lose. You understand those things. And yet when Jesus finished what he was saying in these verses with verse 33, we struggle to fully understand it. He said, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And maybe part of the reason we struggle with this is because a lot of us haven't really had to give up very much of anything to follow Jesus. Those of us that have made that decision to begin to follow Jesus, a lot of us have never had to give anything up. Maybe most of the other people in your life are also Christians. Maybe it's socially acceptable in most of your world to follow Jesus. Maybe you weren't in deep, dark places of sin before you found Jesus. Maybe your life is almost exactly the same as it was before you met Jesus. If that's you, I can relate. Because I I grew up in church, and at the point that I decided uh, to make my faith my own and follow Jesus, the, the truth is there wasn't a big difference between how I was living before and how I was living after. I'm not sure that I can identify very many things that following Jesus has cost me. I'm sure they have been things, but they don't quickly come to mind here. And so I struggle to understand the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here, and my guess is you do too. But the truth is it's very likely, we should expect even, to at some point have to give up something for the sake of following Jesus. And because whatever it is we may have to give up could fall anywhere on the spectrum from something of the least value to us to the thing or, yes, the people we value the most, it's important that we don't assume we're never going to have to give anything up. That we're never going to need to give anything up to to follow God, to, to follow Jesus for God. Because when the time comes that there is a cost and it comes up for us, God may ask us to give up everything and my concern is we might not be willing to do that if we haven't considered this we need to understand that if we were ever asked to give up everything for the sake of god it would be worth it because our relationship with god is worth that much because what jesus did for us on the cross is worth that much because god's love for us is worth that much You see, everything in this life, even the best of this life, the absolute best of this life, is worth nothing compared to God's love, is worth nothing compared to what God did for us through Jesus Christ, and is worth nothing compared to the eternity He has for us. And I get that that's a struggle for us sometimes, because we have these these seasons, these stretches of time where there's a lot of pain in our lives, and there's... Struggles in our lives and God feels distant. Or we feel like maybe God has turned his back on us. You might be in a season like that right now. And and, and in those times, it is easy to lose sight of just how much God loves us and just how much he did for us when he sent Jesus to die for our sins. We need to make sure, we need to be reminded on a regular basis just how amazing that is just how much He loves us, just how much He sacrificed for us. A God who would do the things God did for us is not a God who ends up being distant. He's not a God who turns His back. We need to be reminded of that. Because in light of that, I'm telling you, the best of this life, the absolute best of this life, does not compare. And if the best of this life for you is the people you love, if it's the family around you, your best friends and your closest confidants, the truth is you are very, very blessed. And I don't want to suggest that you are not blessed, because you are. But as amazing as those people are, and as irreplaceable as they may feel in your life, they pale in comparison to God's love for you. And it sounds harsh, it sounds like something we shouldn't even need to say, but I think it's something we need to understand that compared to God's love, everything else fades. Everything else fades. I love the way John Piper put it when he said, radical obedience to Jesus relativizes natural relationships. You see, when all that's in front of us is all we see and all we consider, those relationships are amazing. But in light of Jesus, they're still amazing. They're just not nearly as amazing as he is. They're not nearly as amazing as his love for us, as what he did for us. And so understand that I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those people you love or with those things you value. In and of themselves, they are as valuable as you think they are. And downstairs thinking says, we need to cling to those things because there's nothing more important than them. Downstairs thinking says, can you imagine this life without them? And the answer is probably no. But upstairs thinking means we need to view those things and those people in light of what God did for us, in light of how he loves us. Because those things and those people, compared to the love God has for us, compared to the value God put on us when he sent Jesus to the cross for us, it simply doesn't begin to compare. Now, I hope we don't ever have to make the choice between God and those people that we love. I hope that's not the case, and I don't think think we will have to make that choice. Understand that most of us probably won't end up having to give up something of that magnitude, but if we had to make that choice, we need to understand that it should be no contest. It should be a no-brainer decision. We should be willing to give up whatever we have to if it means we get to spend eternity worshiping God. God didn't ask us to hate our mother, or Jesus didn't ask us to hate our mother and father, but he did ask us to be willing to. He asked us to view everything in this life in light of his love for us, and that changes the way that we see things. But he loved us that much. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. and You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Again, sometimes we forget just how God sees us and just how highly He values us. Because sometimes as we walk through this life, it's easy to forget. He gave his son for us. We were full of sin and dirty and messed up, but he still loved us enough to send Jesus. This scripture tells us that he views us as his masterpiece. God's love for us was so great, he valued us so highly that he made a way for us to be with him for eternity. And as wonderful as this life can be, and there are, there are times where it is amazing, it simply doesn't compare to what eternity with God will be. And we'll struggle with this because downstairs thinking is based on what is right in front of us, what we can see, and upstairs thinking is largely based on the unseen. But whatever we need to do, whatever we need to give up to truly follow Jesus, whatever the cost, and at some point it's going to cost you something, That's what we need to be willing to give up. That's what we need to be willing to sacrifice. Whatever it might cost for us to truly follow the one who paid the ultimate price for us, that's what we need to be willing to give up. Now, I don't know what that's going to be. And I don't know when it might come up for you. But my hope is, in light of what God has done for you, Sending Jesus to die for your sins. My hope is for all of us. If there's something we need to give up to follow Jesus, then we'll give it willingly. We may miss that thing. We may not be thrilled to give it up. But it will be worth it. Because God said that we were worth dying for. If you really want to get crazy, ask God, pray this week. God, show me what's in the way. Show me what in my life that I value highly is affecting my relationship with you. Show me what in my life is standing in the way for me making the first time decision to follow you. Show me in my life what I value highly that it's taking up too much of my time or too much of my energy and it is causing me to neglect my spiritual life. I believe if you ask God to point that out, he probably will. And the question becomes, will you, will you listen? And will you respond? We need to be willing to give up whatever we need to for the sake of following Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much. You sent Jesus to die for our sins. God, I pray that in light of that knowledge, that in light of what you've done for us, We would view even the best things of this life as nowhere near as amazing and important as what you've done for us. God, in the, in the day-to-day of this life, it is easy to take for granted your love for us and all that you blessed us with. God, I pray that we would keep you in focus. And God, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to focus on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.